Grace, the Amy Santiago of Royal Bloggers. And I'm Jessica, the Dorothy's Boring app of Royal Bloggers. And we'd like to welcome you to On Air, the podcast where two cynical Brits discuss the latest royal news and the truth behind the story. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the On Air podcast, the first episode of 2024. Turns out it has already been slightly more exciting than we thought it was going to be. <laughs> we thought we would start this year by having a look back at the British royal family's work in 2023 and some of the surprises that came out of the sort of end of year engagement counts and have a look ahead at something that is happening very, very soon. Very mysterious. Everyone knows what it is who, who vaguely follows royals, but we've kept it mysterious. Yes. Yeah, so this is something that we do pretty much every year. We always have a bit of statistics at the beginning that looks back at 2023. And one of the things that we do is we look at the British royal family's work rate. And we would do it. I would do it for other royal families. It's just that other royal families don't really have the same kind of system. Much easier to do it for the Brits because of the way that they record engagements. So all of the royal, the British royal family's official engagements are theoretically included in something called the Court Circular, which is basically just a page in the Times newspaper. Yeah, so the background of um, all of this, in case you're not familiar, um, is that every year since 1979, some old man, well, probably wasn't old in 1979, um, but an elderly man named Tim O'Donovan has been by in the times and has decided to give himself something to do and counts the number of engagements that are included in the court circular and he writes a letter to the times at the end of the year that says this is what my my numbers say and then they publish it and they've been doing that since 1979 and the disclaimer that I think we give every year but we have to give it again is we know his figures are not always accurate Everybody counts things slightly differently. So I know that like I have a count that I do for myself. I never publish it anywhere, but it's for myself. I know you do a count. And like there have been years where we've differed by maybe five engagements, you know, either way. There have been years where Tim's count has been like 35 lower. And you think something's gone wrong here. Tim had to sleep for a month. (laughs) Yeah, he just (laughs) skipped a month of the the year, um, apparently. However, the value in Tim's count is Firstly, he's been doing it for so long, so we can compare year on year. And also, he is, I believe, a former civil servant. So he is unlikely to be secretly on the internet blogging about how terrible Harry and Meghan are. We used to fight all the time about, you know, who was doing the most engagements and who wasn't. And I think there was always an element of like, well, I don't trust your account because you like William and Kate. Or I don't trust your account because you like Harry and Meghan. Whereas Tim is like a sensible grown up in the middle. Who doesn't care about any of this <laughs> so we all just like in order to avoid a civil war we all kind of agreed let's just trust this old man yeah tim doesn't understand that he has this like cult following on the no. internet people were like his count is final guys but he's like 91 and i'm really worried oh I, I hope i don't say i hate that when he dies but when he does end up dying i i would like to know because otherwise we'll get to yes. the end here and be like tim's count guys and i'll just not come I hadn't seen anything about it this year. So I genuinely thought like, oh my God, he's died. What's like, I'm really sad about the death of this man. (laughs) I know nothing about. Um, But yeah, no, I I don't know if the Times appreciate how many weird um, 20 and 30 something women on the internet follow Tim (laughs) O'Donovan. Just write them a letter like, um, just so you know. 
So yeah, that's um, that's the background. We're going to start off by talking about the total figure rather than going into kind of person by person. So the total number of engagements performed by members of the British Royal Family in 2023 was 2,270, um, which probably means nothing in isolation. Um, <laughs> but to give some, there's been a lot of commentary about it because um, it was 331 engagements less than in 2022 that figure in 2022 was the lowest since 1983 when I've been reading the articles none of them actually say this is the lowest figure since they say last year's figure was the lowest figure since 1983 and this figure is lower so it's at least the (laughs) lowest since 1983 obviously you know people might think well there's been a lot of people who've left over the last few years but Andrew Philip and the Sussexes all left before 2022 and the Queen up until her death in September of last year, did 120 engagements. So the Queen's death on its own does not explain this decrease of 331 total engagements. And on first glance, there's no like obvious reason why it would be that much lower. We thought we would look at the overall rankings and then sort of dig into it a bit more, the interesting characters who stick out. The top royal of 2023 was the king king charles who did 516 engagements followed by the princess royal so princess anne who did 410 then the duke of edinburgh prince edward who did 259 then the queen so queen camilla who did 218 then the duke of gloucester who did 190 then the duchess of edinburgh so sophie who did 179 then the Prince of Wales, or Prince William, who did 175. Then the Princess of Wales, so Kate, who did 134. Then the Duchess of Gloucester, who did 110. The Duke of Kent, with 75. And Princess Alexandra, who did four. Love that one in the end, and four. Excellent rundown. I have a few observations. The first one I had is um, how striking the gap is between Charles and Anne and everyone else yes it's what is it? it's nearly 200 engagements between Anne and Edward I don't know I feel like we've been in I don't want to say like a state of flux but for so many years even with the pandemic and people dying and everything and people leaving and all this kerfuffle was going on so it almost felt like everyone kind of was like but it's been a weird year for five years and then this year, we're like, oh, it's a normal year. And the gap is still there. I think Charles and Anne's rates are great. Yeah, honestly, Charles and Anne, you smashed it. 10 out of 10. Um, I'm, tra- I'm kind of moving into my other observations now. But I think, like, in particular, not seeing, like, Camilla be somewhere in between that gap feels really yeah. strange to me. I did think during the year, I, we weren't seeing her as much as I expected to. Um, but then I would have expected it to have a huge jump up with other things, like behind the scenes things. Um, I mean, I don't want to compare her to Philip because they're two completely different kettle of fish. Yeah. But if you, he is the last sort of consort we had and his numbers were up with the Anne and Charles numbers mm-hmm. consistently until he retired. So for Camilla to still be, you know, not even third by a distance, she's fourth by a distance, is a bit interesting. 
I think at this point there shouldn't be that gap. Like there should be people who are kind of filling that in. I don't necessarily expect all of the royals to be doing 500 engagements. I mean, Princess Alexandra's did four, so there's no way she's going to be doing 500 (laughs) engagements next year. And that's fair enough because she's much older. She's kind of winding down. I totally respect that. However, I just think that it, it's 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 not it's not necessarily about the numbers themselves a lot of this um when I'm going through it it's just about like the consistency and like the the who's where in the in the the rankings and it's just to me having this massive gap is very strange and having the person who's third behind that massive gap being Edward and then have another gap before it's Camilla I kind of want to like just shove Camilla somewhere in the 300s um so that it feels like you know you've got somebody doing in the 500 somebody doing in the 400 somebody in the three somebody in the you know and make it a bit more even do you want to spread out a bit more yeah just spread it out because it just feels like you know if something happened to charles or well obviously if something happened to charles it'd be massive but something happened to (laughs) anne like what are they gonna do because there's a massive gap and nobody's gonna be able to fill all that so yeah but i was kind of moving into my second observation there anyway which was kind of Camilla, William and Kate's numbers are still persistently lower than they should be. I feel like they should be at least doing 200 and 250 in Camilla's case. And those would not be massive increases. Like it would only be 25 engagements more for William. It's doable. I'm not, I'm like, I'm asking for nothing compared to some people who want (laughs) William to be doing 400 engagements. So I'm being very, very fair, but it's just like, This is a persistent issue at this point. I'm really surprised that William was as low as he was. I remember there was a period at the start of the year where it felt like we just didn't see him for about three weeks. And I was just assumed that maybe his numbers were going to be low. But then he did seem to be doing a lot. And he had a lot of Prince of Wales meetings and Duchy of Cornwall meetings and all these other things that I was like, oh, that'll boost him. And he's normally... You know, he's not normally the top three, but he's normally the top five. Um, And I was really surprised that he was so sort of low down the list. And I think for the three of them, it's the consistency throughout the year. Yeah, yeah. Because if you look at the sort of individual month tallies, Mm -hmm. like some months, the, okay, I'll rephrase that. The, I only look at Kate's in detail, but her average amount of engagements per month has increased this year compared to last year when she had more engagements because since the coronation she's done on average three more engagements a month which isn't massive but it is more except she didn't do any in uh, August she barely did any in October or April or December or January or February and that's the same for William because they take the holidays off and I accept that's what they do now Mm -hmm. however they have to make it up elsewhere because you can't be going oh I'm doing extra in you know November I did 18 engagements Mm -hmm. if you don't do any in August at all because then it's just nine a month and that's not as good particularly with Kate there were some years where like her total figure would be 109 109 engagements we'll say that's what her total was one year we'll just imagine it was but it felt like less because she was doing loads of engagements in one short burst and then doing nothing for three weeks. And I actually thought at the time, like if she did two engagements every single week, that would be 104. So at the end of the year, that would be less than her figure was ordinarily. But I actually think people would feel like it was more because they're seeing her consistently. So these numbers themselves should be taken with a pinch of salt because I think they don't, they do matter, but I think that, um, 
it's 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 really about that consistency in a weird way with the edinburgh's and the Wellses, you know they're inconsistent because you know you're not going to see them in the summer for six weeks like <laughs> it's consistently bad we know that whereas with camilla like she'll take off august and then she'll take off october or i don't know if she took off october that's a random suggestion but there's doesn't seem to be a reason why october is missing or she did th- i don't know her engagement numbers clearly more than three in a month but they seem to be odd moments where she just disappears for a week a month at a time and then she comes back and does a stash of engagements um and it's at least with the Queen and Philip, you know, after the holidays, they'd go up to Balmoral until mid-September. Or, you know, they'd be in Sandringham until February. But because Charles is out and about doing engagements, it's like, <laughs> where's, where's Camilla? Yeah, but there's still almost 200 engagements between her and Anne. She could be somewhere in the middle. She could do an extra 100 engagements and still not be close to Anne, you know. Um, there's There's wiggle room. <laughs> I think that's that that big gap is really like it's the most frustrating thing because you're like you could add together like Kate, William and Sophie's engagements and they still like fall in the gap. But during but it's weird because like during the year, it doesn't feel like all like we're sitting there going, Where are they? all the time. It feels like they are there's always someone doing something. But then I wonder how much of that is just Anne and Charles doing things all the time. <laughs> Like just go like, oh yeah, must be Royals doing things as Anne opening a lighthouse. Yeah, we love love Anne and the lighthouse. She's featured so many times on this podcast. The lighthouses. My other observation to move on is um, they are still reliant on the Gloucesters. Yeah, um, the Duke of Gloucester is smashing it. Absolutely smashing it. Yes. So um, I think. Um, you know, there was a lot of talk before and after Charles took the throne about how he was going to slim down the monarchy. However, you know, with all of the changes with Andrew and Harry and Meghan no longer being people that he can rely on, there was, you know, that kind of flew uh, through that kind of plan, which we don't know if it even was his plan to begin with because he never said it. But if it had been his plan, it threw that into um, uncertainty because he was suddenly down three you know, members, including two who were very young and could be doing this for a long, long time. Um, and so, yeah, there was a lot of uncertainty around, like, will he have to keep the Duke and Duch- Duchess of Gloucester and the Duke of Kent and Alexandra on in order to make up the gap? And I think the answer has, you know, from this count is clearly a yes, because the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester, between them, did 300 engagements. William and Kate, between them, did 309 so, you know, they are pretty much doing the same level of work as William and Kate over the last year. At the, As things stand right now, unless Camilla and William and Kate are upping their numbers substantially, they need the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester. I have to say the Duke of Gloucester's numbers, I mean, he's, he's yeah. five on the list. He's uh-huh. just below Camilla. Um, but then, like, in Tim's count, he splits it into, like, official visits and meetings and banquets and all of that um and if you look at the official visits list he comes out third mm. after charles because anne is top of that list like so the bread and butter charity work so to speak you know your your official visits your ceremonies your sporting days out your visits to art galleries the 
the basics of royal work, mm -hmm. he is doing the third most out of all of the royals. So if he disappears, then all these of public facing day to day royal work is disappearing, almost like disappearing along with him. He's doing a good chunk of that. To just talk about William and Kate for a second, I, you know, a lot of people's argument in in defense of them is, OK, but look at the Royal Foundation and all the work that happens to the Royal Foundation. And like Earthshot is huge. And so they're obviously they're doing loads and loads of work behind the scenes and it's just not being counted. I mean, firstly, that's their choice. They can submit anything <laughs> they want to the court circular. So if they aren't submitting things, that's on them. Um, but also, I think that um, I'm, I'm sure that William and Kate are doing lots of work behind the scenes. But that's the point. It's behind the scenes. It's like meetings with people and we never find out anything about what happened in that meeting. We never even find out that the meeting existed because it's not in the court circular. Whereas the Duke of Gloucester is actually going out and doing, the, as you say, the bread and butter. He's cutting ribbons. He's unveiling plaques. He's uh, going to country fairs. And, you know, this is not something that's new. We've talked about this in the podcast before. Of But like William and Kate's work with the Royal Foundation is great, but it cannot replace these important frontline things it has to be done in addition to and you know we talked about this in the episode about William going to Singapore and about how he seemed to be like very dismissive of those important you know bread and butter engagements and I think his number is not going to go up substantially if he's not doing all of those little engagements he's not going to do enough from Earthshot to get up another 200 engagements there's still people within the family who are doing those those day-to-day -day engagements that are really important for the visibility of the monarchy and eventually William's gonna have to find out find somebody to fill that gap if he doesn't want to do it yeah I think looking at that that column and did 196 official visits in the UK and then both Kate and Sophie did 78 like almost three times less um and William did 81 so it's like it's not and I think it's not just it is a William and Kate issue and I think it's also an Edward and Sophie issue yeah yeah um this kind of I will say it's like <laughs> sounds like I'm being like oh Gen Z honestly but it's like the younger generation <laughs> aren't you Gen Z <laughs> and, I, mean, I am actually on the cusp you're on the cusp yeah I argue that for my life um but it is like because I think Edward and Sophie and William and Kate are sort of more like peers than a sort of aunt and uncle and niece and nephew in a weird way because of the big gap between Charles and Anne and Edward <clears throat> they definitely have seemed to have taken on more of a change the world <laughs> approach compared to the sort of older royals cut some ribbons approach and I'm not saying one is better than the other but I'm saying they need to do both and at the moment I think the king and Anne are doing both and then Sophie and Edward and Kate and William are not. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I would completely agree with that. And I think, you know, those the, at the end of the day, those engagements are not going to go away. The requests for those sorts of engagements are not going to go away. And Charles and Anne are doing a lot of them. Um, but then they also know that they have the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester who are there doing 300 of these every year um, to keep up the, the numbers. And they can't rely on the Duke and Duchess of Gloucester forever. So I think it's just, it's like a future-proofing sort of thing that William really needs to think about his whole snobbiness towards cutting ribbons and unveiling plaques and think about whether or not he needs to reverse that or he needs to find his Duke and Duchess of Gloucester. And there aren't that many candidates because Sophie and Edward don't seem to want to do it. So, 
you know. Yeah, the another Tim column is dinners and banquets. And that was really notable to me because it's like such an easy engagement to do. Like go to a dinner and wear a dress or a suit and just do you have to make a speech, you just have to go there. Um because Anne, obviously, bless up, did 84. So 84 nights out of the year, she got a free dinner, bonus. And Kate and William did 14 each. And most of them were together. It, I don't quite know how to phrase it because dinners and banquets aren't your bread and butter ribbon cutting charity work engagements. But they are in the evening, kids are in bed, you know, one of you could pop out. And it feels like it's something that garners a lot of press because it's not happening in the middle of the day. It's in the evening. You can wear a nice dress, which is going to get the photos and it's going to get the clicks on the internet. Um, And they're the ones that people go back to. When you look on the internet and people are going like, oh, you know, Kate's work with, I don't know, Action on Addiction. They look at her appearance at the Action on Addiction gala in 2016, not at her visits during the day in the other five times she's been because she wore a dress that one time. Um, And I think... And balances it really well because she goes to dinners and banquets throughout the year that go at lunchtime and she's in a tweed jacket to in the evening when she's with Tim and she does the whole range. Um, and clearly has a great time at it, <laughs> doing speeches and some and other times she literally just has a dinner. But I feel like there was a real rumour a few years back that William and Kate are above dinners and banquets because they're too fancy and they're just down to earth country royals if they're going to continue to decide this is the narrative of they don't want to do dinners because it's not with the people, they then have to make up the dinners and banquets number <coughs> by doing another 70 engagements elsewhere. Yes, yes, exactly. Well, we, so I, I'm in a new job now, so I um, don't have as much connection to the Royals, but in my old job, we did have opportunities to pitch for Royal engagements and um you know royals to come in to visit us and we always wanted them to come to a fundraising event or to come to an event and meet our donors because that's what we care about especially I work in fundraising so we care (laughs) about the money and the royals can really help with that and you know like there's this very legendary gala that was for Jewish care that raised 10 million pounds and our galas are really expensive and it's hard to make money so they raised 10 million it's huge and William went to that and he did nothing. He didn't actually raise any money, but his name is always going to be linked to this legendary gala that raised 10 million pounds for a charity. Um, and if you Google it, you'll find it. And like, you know, the, when they used to go to the women and hedge funds um, galas, yeah. they were always counted as like, oh, they raised this much money for their patronage. They did nothing. They just turned up. But they, you know, <laughs> get the credit for, for so it's, it's a good thing for them as well. But we always had the narrative back of they want to meet with the people. And um, they don't want to do these galas, even though that's what the charities want them to do. They want to meet with the people and want you to organise it for them, um, which was always quite irritating. Uh, so that's that's definitely um, a truth that, like, you know, they 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 can benefit from going to these engagements and going to these galas and things. Um, but they kind of have fed the narrative back that it's not really something that they want to do. Um, so another th- observation I noted, column three in the Tim rankings, is his meetings column. And bearing in mind it doesn't include the red boxes that Charles does every day apart from Christmas and Easter, Charles does, uh, had 225 meetings last year, which is two-fifths of his engagements. Um, 
which, you know, fair enough. He's the king. He's got to meet a lot of people. Um, and the next closest was Anne, who did 75 meetings, oh, which wow. obviously means she is doing, actually, in terms of engagements, pretty much an equal amount to Charles in terms of the public. basic work. Yeah, the public-facing work. But then obviously in third place, it was William, which is not surprising because he's got lots of meetings. But what did surprise me was one of the lowest on the list was Camilla, who only actually had 23 meetings or audiences or any of that in the year. And Camilla has, you know, worked very closely with a lot of her charities that she's really interested in, such as sort of osteoporosis or the reading room, you know, her books um, or women uh, who've dealt with sexual violence. She works really closely with them. Um, and I always assumed that Camilla did a lot of work in meetings. I just always assumed she did lots of like meeting with people to set things up because we know she's done that in the past. She set up like wash bags for victims of sexual violence and that have become widespread across the entire country now. And if Charles is meeting with 225 people, they cannot all be people who only need to meet with the king. Some of them are just there to say hi. So why is his wife also not there? <laughs> why is she not popping in for a cup of tea? That is very interesting, actually, because I think, like, the numbers being so high for William is partially why his overall numbers are so low, which doesn't sound like it makes sense. But it, basically, William is doing a lot of these sort of meetings instead of going out and doing, you know, the, the ribbon cutting kind of thing. Um, so that's a narrative that you can build from those numbers, whereas Camilla's meeting numbers are quite low. And her overall number is quite low. So she's not doing loads of the public facing stuff. She's also not doing a lot of the behind the scenes closed door stuff. So what is she doing? Where is she? Where is she? Yeah. And it's, yeah, you're right about like just turning up, turning up at things with Charles. Like she is the queen. Yeah. like She is actually the queen. Yeah. Yeah. It was just so loud. And then the only other section that Tim has is the overseas visit, which oh. was hilariously low this year. Yeah, um, yeah. But my favourite thing about this was the difference in um, the couples' numbers. Because I did Charles and Camilla, and then Edward and Sophie, and then William and Kate. So Charles, somehow, I don't know when these happened, did 94 overseas engagements. No idea when he went overseas that long. Don't remember this story. <laughs> I think I blacked out like a month. Went to France. Um, did you did France? France. You did, did France and Germany. Yeah. But that's but not 94. Like, I'm sure he didn't do 94 engagements. And he was with Camilla and she only did 48. Yeah, and no, I don't that's... Think it was a big... well, that doesn't <laughs> so make sense. And then we had Edward and Sophie. And in my head, Sophie's always overseas doing things. Yeah. And she had 28 engagements, but Edward had 56. So don't know what happened there either. <laughs> yeah. And then... And then we know William and Kate didn't really go abroad, but William had two sort of mini overseas visits. So he had 33. And I still don't think Singapore and his trip to Ukraine or Poland or wherever he went actually does add up to 33. And then obviously Kate had her one or two from um, the rugby in France. And I mean, I always say they don't have to stick together because they're a married couple. They can do other things. It doubles the amount of work they do if they're not stuck together. However, they could have gone abroad together and then done two lots of work and then doubled the work by doing the work abroad rather than it just seeming like the royals in like the Charles Edward William, who all did more than their respective spouse by a fair bit, seem to have gone abroad and done 
20, 30, 50 more engagements than their partner who didn't go abroad. So they didn't make up the fact that mm. there's missing engagements anywhere. Yeah, I just I was looking this up just to see what Charles did do. Um, he also went to Romania without Camilla. Um, okay. And he went to Kenya, apparently. Um, no memory of this. <laughs> no memory of that. He also went to COP. Oh, I remember COP because he wore a Greek tie and that was a whole thing. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'd forgotten he went. Um, I remember the Greek tie, but I'd, I'd forgotten he went at all. So he has done a few things that we'd forgotten about. But yeah, that's quite a lot. Um, yeah. And no, you, anyway, I, I just wanted to look it up out of curiosity because I was like, I can't remember him doing anything other than France and Germany. You know, we again, we talked about this in the Singapore episode of kind of like, you know, Kate doesn't have to be joined at the hip with William. And um, in fact, given that his work, a lot of it is about the environment, does it make sense to send Kate along randomly to just tag along for something that she's got nothing to do with? Um, so I don't have a problem necessarily with them not going abroad. Um, but you're right that like they sh- they can be doing things here um, while their spouse is overseas. Uh, there's this whole weird thing that seems to happen with the royal family of like not wanting to overshadow each other. Everyone's so sensitive. Just go. Just go. Yeah. It's like whenever anyone has a big thing up, like, what was it? Oh, the state opening of parliament. I was like, oh, no one's going to do anything today, are they? It's like, actually, they could have done because it doesn't actually overshadow the state opening of parliament if someone's no. opening a train station. No, not at all. <laughs> and even if it did, like, I don't know, they need to start looking at this as like a collective you know if we one of us benefits we all benefit kind of thing if one of us is struggling we're all struggling rather than like well I have to be the best you know as I've already said I don't really buy the whole argument of like oh well William's abroad so Kate therefore has to be chained to the the kitchen in case her children need anything you know she can still do things uh while her children are at school all day or while the nanny's looking after them or in the evening or you know whatever well I mean I think that's kind of interesting in that it kind of does lead me into my ne- my sort of last major observation so we talked at the beginning about how the overall number is lower and we've been quite critical throughout this about several people's performance and I think the interesting thing really is when you compare these figures to 2022 which I did I'm very proud of myself for doing actual work this time <laughs> if you look at the numbers Charles Camilla and the Duke of Gloucester all had small increases. So Charles last year did 497, this year did 516. Camilla last year did 194, and this year did 218. And the Duke of Gloucester last year did 183, and this year did 190. Everybody else on the list either remained the same or decreased. So Anne, even, who's, you know, the champion of all engagements, did 410, whereas last year she did 474. Sophie was 179 this year. Last year was at 280. So that's an increase, that's a decrease of 100. William is at 175 instead of 190 for last year. Then we've got, you know, Alexandra, four instead of 48 for last year. So everybody, Kate was only about four, but, you know, everybody else. Other, say, that makes Kate look way better. Yeah, <laughs> she, only, she only decreased by four, so she's pretty stand, uh, steady. Um, Charles, Camilla and the Duke of Gloucester are the only people who had any increase in their engagements. And given that their increases were quite small, they were offset by how much lower everybody else was in comparison to last year. And so that is where the sort of decrease in the overall figure is coming from. And I think there's a few different... Um, 
factors that are kind of at play. Obviously, one of them is sort of like health. So Alexandra doing 44 engagements less. It doesn't sound like much, but it all adds up. But I actually think, you know, funnily enough that you've been talking about overseas visits, I think that is where a lot of the decrease is coming from. Because I think, you know, William was eight, it was 15 lower than he was last year. And I think easily could have done 15 if him and Kate had gone on a tour. Yeah, everyone talks about how tours artificially inflate figures, but they don't because they're just doing work in a very short period of time. Yeah, they inflate <laughs> them. They don't artificially inflate them. They inflate them. Yeah, it's like when I when I do my rankings of like which October has Kate worked the most in, like I'm aware of the October she went on on a tour in because she will have they will are significantly higher because for the four days she was on tour, whatever it was, she might have done sixteen engagements on those days because they pack them in because it's they might it might be the only time they ever visit that country. And I spent an entire year complaining about the fact that we were severely lacking in royal tours. Um, and clearly, it's had an impact. Yeah, I mean, I think Kate in particular was the one that interested me because she's only four lower than she was last year and she didn't go to Singapore. So if she'd gone on like two tours, one in the spring and one in the autumn, um, then we easily could have seen her have, I don't know, 40 engagements more, I think. I don't think that's unrealistic um on top of what she did so she would have been way ahead of where she was last year so clearly she is actually upping her numbers in some way on like the day-to-day stuff that she's doing but this lack of overseas tours just kind of like decimated everything and I think even you know Anne has was quite substantially lower even though she's at the second highest and is doing very well she did drop quite substantially and she is somebody who I think of as going overseas a lot Sophie had a hundred decrease and I think she is also somebody, particularly with her work now in recent years with sort of conflict and um, uh, gender-based violence in conflict and things like that, you know, she's somebody who I think of as going overseas quite a lot as well. So I do, I really do think that whoever decided this policy last year of like, we're not going to do very many overseas tours and nobody's going to go to Australia and, you know, all that sort of stuff, it's really impacted the numbers. Yeah, because I've seen so many rumours from it being like a government decision to have them focus in the UK, um, not send them abroad, to it being a Charles decision for it not to overshadow the coronation, for it to being a joint family decision as a kind of let's get this year back on track after the crazy few years and then go back out again. And there doesn't seem to be any overall consensus. And I imagine it's a mixture of all of the reasons because they all make a little bit of sense. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if Sophie did 100 overseas engagements last year, but Sophie alone is responsible for a third of the drop in engagements. Like, yeah. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I think even if you factor in the net, you know, the fact that there was some who'd increased, it's still a, a large chunk of it was down to Sophie. Um, <laughs> the problem is that his figures last year, as far as I can see, were just the totals. So he didn't have, he normally does, he always does this breakdown of like how many they did in the UK, how many they did overseas, how many banquets, how many meetings. Um, but last year it didn't seem to do that. So you can't like easily compare, you know, what is actually strictly driving because it's there's no way that's, that Sophie's 100 less because of overseas tours. I think, again, 40, 50 maybe. Um, 
lower but not a hundred so but it it, it just it, it makes the picture more complicated because uh, you've got this strict ranking which makes somebody like Kate look like she, and like she's doing absolutely nothing um but then when you actually look at the 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 figures in comparison to last year you can see that clearly she actually is doing more of some kinds of engagements um and then actually it's it's people like Anne who are doing le- less you know who've had a drop so it, it's just it makes the picture more complicated than just here's the rankings I mean we've we know that Anne and Tim have been requested by the Foreign and Commonwealth Office to go and visit Sri Lanka perhaps yeah. so I'm assuming that that could be the start of a year of tours which I'm really hoping for yes well, we've had we've had some rumors already of like William and Kate going to Italy and maybe Charles going to Australia. Um, so there have been rumors, which I'm I'm hoping is a positive sign. The build up to the coronation, in a weird way, kind of March and April and early May, felt like there was less going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know April has a two week Easter holiday, so obviously that means there's four royals who are going to take some time off, but. I always assumed they'd be doing loads in the lead up to the coronation and they they weren't. Whereas after the coronation, I did feel like they kind of up until the summer went off on a bit of a we're here surprise. But I felt like they were almost particularly, I imagine Charles and Camilla did have probably some stuff to do with relation to the coronation behind which they didn't put in the court circular, probably because it was like trying on a hat. And, you know, I imagine there was probably a decision for some reason to scale back in the lead up to the coronation so they could do all these rehearsals and yeah dress sizing and all of this but then even though they did seem to come out and do more in the next couple of months it wasn't an equivalent to what they lost in the yeah. sort of the build up to the coronation you're probably right that it probably was coronation related and it it in a way it makes sense you know as i said uh, earlier about the fact that they don't seem to like to overshadow each other um, oh no, that's not true. They don't like to be overshadowed. Like overshadowing each other. There was probably a very clear indication from Charles of like, we want the airways to be cleared so that um, everything that comes out from now on for the next month or whatever is about the coronation. I guess in a way it did make sense, even though it shouldn't that they do did less right before the coronation. Actually, this is maybe leading me on to my last section, which is, does it matter? I love it. Let's go for it. Nice little segue there. <clears throat> In terms of, you know, does the, do the numbers matter? And does it matter that they decided they made this decision to decrease things um, in the run up to the coronation? Yes and no. I think the strict numbers themselves don't matter because the vast majority of people in the United Kingdom have no idea who Tim O'Donovan is. They don't read the court circular. They They are not going to know if Charles does... 400 engagements instead of 500 engagements next year. However, I think that the general feeling does matter. So like the strict numbers of like, has it gone up by 200 or down by 200 don't matter. But the feeling and the narrative of they're doing less could matter cumulatively, I suppose. At a time when the amount of money is so high that they're getting for their engagement numbers to be decreasing pretty persistently, I think there's a narrative there that's just waiting to be, you know, leapt on by the Guardian or whoever about, you know, how it doesn't make sense to be giving them more money when they're doing less and less work. The biggest worry isn't necessarily 
that they've done 300 engagements less. It's does that 300 engagements less translate into people feeling like they are seeing the royals less? And then that's where their problem will come in. Yeah, I think in a weird way, they're incredibly lucky that they've been so filled with drama over the last four years because it feels a lot like the royals have been very much ever present on the news. So people are seeing them a lot, even if they're not actually doing things. People haven't clicked on a headline that said, the royal family's done 300 less engagements this year. So it's not kind of spiralled. However, by the end of next year, assuming nothing dramatic happens, touch wood, um, even they're saying again, there's another decrease. It's the lowest year since 1983. It's the lowest year of the 21st century, whatever spin they put on it. I think that um, royal exhaustion will have diminished somewhat. People will go, hang on a second, <clears throat> and then they'll click on it. And that's when the problems will kick in. So they've kind of got a year to turn it around. And I'm not saying they'll get to next December, have done 300 engagements less, and then there will be a massive revolution and the monarchy will be in <laughs> because Charles did 100 engagements less and did this year. But the population's getting older. I mean, they're going to go, well, they're going to die because they're old, or they're going to be like, well, actually, hang on a second. I'm 72 and I'm still working because the retirement age has been risen and all of this. And this 72-year-old man is the king and he's got way more money than me. That's not fair. When you've got Anne and Charles doing 400, 500 engagements and William and Kate doing 100 engagements, someone's brain is going to go, hang on, this guy's in his 70s, this guy's in his 40s. That doesn't quite seem right. Yeah, I mean, Charles and Anne are pretty much doing half of the work between them. So turn it around, Riley boy, put your foot down. We just set up like an online calendar and Charles just puts in, William cuts a ribbon. He's like, oh my God, I've got to cut another ribbon. Someone find me a ribbon. It's like the episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine where they get the new captain and he makes them do tasks and yeah. the alarm goes off if they don't do a task every 15 minutes or something. Um, it's like that. That's what they need. Yeah, they do. <laughs> Especially alarm for like, William's not been out cutting ribbons recently. Set yeah, off. yeah. So our second topic for today is a dramatic one um, because we, you know, at the end of last year, we were talking about how 2024 is going to be a really boring year. Nothing's going to happen. Um, we're not looking forward to it. We were very down on 2024. And then on New Year's Eve, Queen Margrethe of Denmark always does a speech. And so she did a speech this year. She does every single other year. Uh, but this year, she decided to blindside everyone and use her speech to announce that she was abdicating. Um, and that on the 14th of January, she's going to say, sayonara, she's over it, she's done. Uh, the 56th, 52nd anniversary of her accession to the throne. Um, and this is the first abdication in Denmark for about 900 years. So um, it was a fairly monumental announcement to come out on New Year's Eve. Uh, starting 2024 off with a bang. I mean, just to 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 paint a word picture, to set the scene, where were you when you found out that Margrethe was abdicating? Well, I was sat on the floor in the front room. I think I was probably getting ready to play Mario Kart. And yes. you, I was picked up my phone and you'd messaged me and you'd written, Marguerite's abdicated, lol. <laughs> 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 I found out the news. 
I was like, what? 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 I was like, have I missed? Like in my head, I almost felt like it had happened before, and I just missed it. Like it was yeah. a really key thing that happened in the last year, and I just forgotten for about a split second. I thought, how did I forget Marguerite's abdication? I was like, no, I didn't forget that. It's new. It's new. It's new. Yeah. Um, yeah. I. Um, well, I'm glad I'm, I can forever be part of that story because um, that's ex- excellent. I'm sorry that I didn't provide more commentary or <laughs> anything more intelligent than Marguerite abdicated. Lol. Um, <laughs> um I mean I found out I was um I'm in a group chat and um I just got this flurry of messages that was like oh my god I can't believe it I know I just saw I can't believe it's happening and it was like like 10 minutes of messages where no one was actually saying what happened not 10 minutes okay (laughs) several minutes of messages where no one had actually said what happened or who even who was involved and it might not even be royals because these people you know are like Taylor Swift and stuff so maybe Taylor Swift's got engaged and that's that's how I found you know so I was I didn't actually I knew something had happened someone in the world that was dramatic but I didn't know what so I checked Tumblr first of all and I saw nothing so I think I checked Instagram and I saw a post that was like breaking news Queen Margrethe has abdicated so it was a bit of a shambolic thing (laughs) it wasn't like you know when with the Queen where I was sitting watching a live stream waiting for her to die I was like I was shocked but it was more of like a mental shock than a physical one, if that makes sense. So it was sort of like it happened and I went, oh, yeah, that's really surprising. But of course, in my head, I'd already built up like, you know, maybe Williams died or something, you know, really <laughs> dramatic because you know, I didn't know what was going on. So it was less shocking than I had actually anticipated in my brain. Um, but, you know, so there was a moment of like, oh, yes, that is a surprising thing. But it wasn't like with the Queen where I kind of froze and was like, I don't know how to deal with this because I've never been in this situation before I think that's probably because it was an abdication uh and also it's not my queen you know yeah I felt like I was more like what is going on and yeah. then I just remember going to like to Twitter and Tumblr and it was it was hilarious because Tumblr was just like oh my god isn't this shocking didn't see this coming and then on, on like Twitter and Instagram was where like the actual information was yeah yeah it's like I was like yeah oh my god that's one of the things that really annoys me about Tumblr, can I just say. I, I love Tumblr. But um, I remember, I think it was Harry and Meghan's wedding. I was flying to Spain that day. So I, I wasn't able to actually watch their wedding live. And so I just, I would check Tumblr when I was in the airport or when I was, you know, at the supermarket with my mum on the way home. And uh, it would just be people being like, oh my God, I can't believe this such and such is wearing such, is wearing a dr- that dress. And I was like, well, what dress? None of you have posted any pictures of this person in that dress. So how am I supposed to know? It's so annoying. Like, accompany it with a photograph. And I, I'm... <laughs> it's my information. It's, I'm being massively hypocritical because I know that I've done this before. Um, but it is very irritating. And you don't realise until you're on the other side and you're not able to participate. And then you're like, what is going on? So let's kind of go into how she actually announced it. Uh, we'll post a link to the video. It's all in Danish anyway, so you won't understand it if you don't speak Danish. But... <laughs> But um, she did her her speech. Uh, the the vast majority of it was just a normal New Year's Eve speech, like she always gives. So she talked about the Middle East. She talked about Ukraine. She talked about climate change, AI, Christians 18th. It was quite a broad speech about here are all the things that are scaring humanity as we move into 2024. <laughs> um, and then she said that time takes its toll on everyone. And to quote, 
she said in february this year i underwent extensive back surgery everything went well thanks to the competent health personnel who took care of me inevitably the operation gave cause to thoughts about the future whether now would be an appropriate time to pass on the responsibility to the next generation i have decided that now is the right time on the 14th of january 2024 52 years after i succeeded my beloved father i will step down as queen of denmark i will hand over the throne to my son crown prince frederick she then said some thank you to some people, like the, the public for their support, the politicians for their support, and then said, it is my hope that the <coughs> new king and queen will be met with the same trust and devotion which, have fallen to my, which has fallen to my lot. Uh, they deserve it. Denmark deserves it. So general thoughts about the speech. It was odd. <laughs> it was odd. It was, it was clunky. Um, it, it, yeah, it just felt a little bit clunky to me. I was when I was going back through it, I was like, there's nothing really about Frederick and Mary. I would expect like it's a lot about like this is why I've decided to do this. And not very much about like Frederick and Mary have been supporting me for, you know, 20 years in Mary's case and a lifetime in Frederick's case. They've done it with grace. Um, they are ready for this. And I believe that they are the right people to take Denmark into the next generation or, you know, whatever. It was pretty much just like, I'm over it. Good luck. And that was it. <laughs> yeah, that's what was missing. I didn't. I knew something was missing and I could not put my finger on it. And it's that whole like, I know your next king, queen will be the, are the right people to lead you on. That's what was missing. It was, And I also, because she was just like, yeah, I've decided that, yeah, I'm going to sit down. Bye. Her thank you is like an Oscar speech. Like, thank <laughs> you to these people and these people. So, whoa, whoa, whoa. Slow down. And also I think, because she she said she was stepping down um, after she talked about her back surgery, mm. it it made it sound very health related. Yes, yes. And it might be, but she could have also just said like, you know, this happened this year. I thought a lot about things, and I've decided that after you know, like after fifty two years in charge, um, I am. It's it's time for a change. You know, the the new generation needs to come, and I'm old now. Blah blah blah. But just very much, she was just like, yeah, I've had back surgery. And then I was at home for a long time. I thought, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Feels an odd vibe. I thought it was really odd that they, and I I have to be careful about how I word this because it's going to sound bad. But the, the reasoning was very clearly, according to what I've read, you know, health. That's what she said in the speech. But last year, she did the costumes for uh, the Nutcracker production at Tivoli, which she does every single year. She did costumes and set design for a Netflix show, all while also being a very successful queen. Like, I'm 31 and I have less energy than Margreta. <laughs> so I don't, I, I hate I hate to say like, oh, she doesn't seem sick because I know that there's like so many different ways that illness can manifest and like, we might not be able to see physically and you know she she does have to sit down at things and you know so she clearly isn't as healthy as she once was but it just didn't make sense to me that the narrative of it is that is this back issue that sort of made her think about her health um because one yeah she was incredibly active last year and two like she was very recently saying that she wouldn't abdicate this isn't like something she said in the 80s and we've all just run with it um, so it made me kind of think like, is this preemptive? Like, is she uh, is, is she worried about the her health in the future? And this is why she's taking this step now. Is the health just a cover? Um, because, you know, she is an older woman and um, not many people other than me, apparently, are going to be like, oh, I don't think she's actually sick. 
um, <laughs> because that's incredibly rude and I realise that. Um, so, you know, maybe that's just a sort of a cover that like, okay, well, that seems like a legitimate reason for why somebody would step down. And I guess we don't know and we, it probably doesn't matter because either way it's her choice, but it does, it does just feel strange that that's the narrative they've gone with. Yeah, I did like the young people whose reaction were like, oh yeah, at the Queen's funeral, she did look really sad. I was like, <laughs> yes, it's a funeral. It's a funeral, yeah, you have to. Even if you don't care, you have to look sad. <laughs> like, like, I'm not sure how that links, really. No. Like, people, it's just like people are like, oh, she was sad at the Queen's funeral, so she must have decided that funerals are bad and therefore she's going to abdicate. And I was like, maybe she was just sad because her friend, the Queen, had died. Yeah. She also, you know, she was sad at her husband's funeral and didn't immediately abdicate, so... What a strange thing to say. Um, yeah, it just it's it's the fact that like she makes it sound like she started thinking about this after this back surgery in February. And I'm not saying that she's made the wrong decision or anything like that, but it's just strange to me that you would be like on the throne for 51 years, and for 51 years you would say, I am not going to abdicate, and then in the space of 10 months decide to abdicate for the first time in 900 years. Yeah, I just it, that's it feels like a very rash decision. No, I'm not trying to start any conspiracy theories. I'm sure that everybody's telling me the truth and all that, but it just is strange that she sort of said it's health related. And I've thought about it over the last 10 months rather than she could have done a narrative that was like, I've been thinking about this for a while. And I think that Frederick and Mary are ready to take Denmark are the best people to lead Denmark now. And I'm not. Um, and maybe she could have mentioned health as being part of that reason, but she could have talked about it as being more of a long-term decision because it does just feel like very sudden and very much about like, I don't want to do this anymore and not about like, I think Frederick and Mary are ready. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It did very much, it, I'm sure it wasn't, but it did very much come across as like, I'm bored of being yeah, queen now. Yeah. Which is a bad thing to say because she's an elderly woman who's been doing it for 52 years. And I'm sure... Yeah. Like, she's not actually bored of it. You know, maybe she's just like, oh, it's too much F, you know, too much work for someone of my age, or maybe my back is too bad. But it just sounded like she was like, yeah, I can't be bothered. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I'm done. And then one of the other things that came out of the speech itself was the the rapid turnaround. Um, (laughs) She announced this on New Year's Eve, and she was stepping down on the 14th of January. So when I heard she was abdicating, I thought, okay, maybe it'll be like a summer thing. And we all have like six months or something, two weeks. I had to give three months notice from my last job. <laughs> and I was just a fundraising officer. I've got to give a term. That's quite a long time. I've got yeah. to, if I want to quit my job, I have to tell in July. I have to tell them in April. Yeah. <laughs> three months no we've both got three months notice periods, roughly. And yet if you are the queen of Denmark, apparently your notice period is two weeks. It's more like I'm being you know, I'm suffering here. Hang on. Yeah. I'm going to go to the union and be like, one second, guys. Yeah. If the Queen of De- my defense that we should get two weeks' notice <laughs> period is the Queen of Denmark had a two week notice period. There's a, I mean, there's a couple of things. The Queen over here, you know, she made some ropey decisions in her last few years. But one thing that she did incredibly well was preparing us for the day that she wasn't going to be there. I, I remember before she died talking in podcast, podcast episodes about the fact that I actually forgot she was still alive at points because she had so you know gradually put herself into the background and Charles into the foreground. And that had happened over the course of like 10 years. Um, whereas there obviously was no time to prepare for this. It's just like, okay, in two weeks time, I'm gone. Bye. See ya. Um, 
And I, I suppose maybe her attitude is like, well, it's happening, so I might as well just get on with it rather than delaying the inevitable. But I just hope, you know, we've heard stories about how um, this was quite last minute and a lot of people didn't know. I just really hope that Frederick and Mary and Christian were told well in advance. Because <laughs> we know from what happened with uh, Joachim and his children that Margrethe doesn't seem very good at communicating. We know, like when the the her grand her, Joachim's children lost uh air titles it was very much like a, we found out kind of as it happened mm-hmm. and then when joe kim was kind of banished to america he was like yeah i was just kind of told i had to go <laughs> here so, um and even if you know like the earliest they could have been told was 10 months ago if Margareta had literally woke up the day of her surgery and gone like yeah i'm done now bye yeah and they went whoa, whoa, whoa slow down but like that's not a massively long time so the two-week thing just I, I, I'm I'm fascinated. We don't know when they found out, but I'm fascinated about the idea of when they found out. Because I feel like even with Christian's birthday, it didn't feel like there was a mood in the room when I look back on it now. No, I went and checked the speeches mm. to be like, is were there any like hints in there? Like, I'm ready for the, f-, like, like Frederick be like, my son, the future kid. But there's nothing. It was just more like, yeah, Christian's great. I love running. Yeah. You know, that was the <laughs> There was nothing. When did they? Yeah. I just really want to know. I kind of, I in a way, I really hope they found out a long time in advance and it was like really well done. But if it wasn't, I do very much hope they watched the speech and were like, what? Yeah. <laughs> that would be so do funny. Either do it properly or do it in a chaotic way, please. Yeah. We love a bit of chaos on this podcast. Yeah, that's what I want to see. Yeah, so it was just a it was just a very odd sort of um, statement, in my opinion. It wasn't bad as such. Like, I think it's fair enough that she did it at New Year's Eve. Um, you know, she thanked the public and people she's worked with, which is good. A slight, it wasn't what I was expecting when I found out that she abdicated. I thought it was going to be something slightly different. Um, and so I'll, that was actually more of a surprise to me than the actual abdication itself was just like the way that she announced it, it was just very... It was almost like she decided when she was reading her speech that she was going to abdicate <laughs> during it. I do think, however, the rest of the rollout has been quite good. Yeah, it's been really efficient. Yeah, there's been pretty much, since the announcement, pretty much like daily updates. And it actually, in a way, you know, I think two weeks felt very sudden, but it has meant that we haven't got any of this long drawn out. We're finding about out about the invitations a month before um uh we're finding out about uh, things that you'd think you'd find Jazz. out about yeah we're finding <laughs> out about, or yeah it wasn't like random announcements about every single little thing that would happen while all the important stuff is being left out which is what happened with the coronation like we didn't know we didn't know what people were going to wear but we knew what the chairs were going to look like which was great um you know so i think having a shorter time period has actually in a way worked in their favor because they have been able to just do like daily announcements about something yeah, they've. <clears throat> so I went back to the um, the uh, Danish royal family's website and I looked at the press releases since the the speech because there isn't there was the New Year's speech obviously released on New Year's Eve and then the first press release is the New Year's Day press release that was like uh, the Queen's abdicating. Yeah, I, just in case <laughs> you missed it. <laughs> just in case, just some coverage, and then they've really they kind of they've gone like from the history of abdication to the legality to um staffing to titles to patronages they've just gone to the, the day that's coming up and it's been really like well planned out that feels more like it's been you know 
in the running a long time because someone had those posts ready to go or someone sat there on New Year's Eve like I was about to go off shift now I've got to go and write 50 <laughs> press releases to go on their routes um but they're very good press releases whoever's in charge of them should get a pay rise they're very good very educational yeah they've definitely done a really good job of them I think I, there's like they, I, I like that they started off with a couple of posts or a couple of announcements that were kind of like no abdication's totally fine even though it hasn't happened for 900 years everyone's abdicating these days and it's totally legal it says it in the con- in the constitution it's fine so you know it before they even got into like what's going to actually happen it was that it was like they preempted that everyone was going to freak out about it and they've just been like no actually abdication's super cool and if you guys don't aren't on board with abdication then i mean that's your fault you know it was um it was very interesting to see them refer to so many other royal families in particular as to justification for this choice. Like, oh, everyone does it. Yeah. I like the part that, like, in the Netherlands, four out of six yeah. of all of their monarchs have done it. So, yeah. like, that's more than half. So. Yeah. Exactly. So it's totally fine that I'm doing it. You know, whatever. Um, but then, of course, they did actually get into, like, the actual meat of it of like answering some of people's outstanding questions um and it's all just been very matter of fact of kind of like yep this is what we decided we already know keeping it to the important stuff you don't need to know the shape of the chairs it's managed and it's also because i'm nice and short like sometimes royals when they release press releases release very long press releases and there's only about three interesting things in it and the rest of it is like in case you weren't aware the king is the man who is in charge of the country yeah. and he yeah. wears a crown once a year. And I was like, yeah, I know that. That's why I'm here reading a press release about it. <laughs> Cut the waffle and I'm like, right, in the future, this is the facts. Yeah, it's been very matter of fact. It'll be like a st- uh, one that will just be like, change of titles. And then it'll say, after the abdication, Margrethe will be known as this, Frederick is this, Mary is this, Christian is this, end of thing. That's it. That's all you need to know. You don't need, like, whereas in the British royal family at the bottom, there'll be like a, pa- a paragraph that'll be like, this is the history of the crown prince title. And this is um, <laughs> the last person who held this title in 1844. And this, you know, it would be all, and that's probably helpful for like the press and stuff, but um, it does feel a bit waffly at times. So it was quite nice that, yeah, they just got to the, the facts of the matter and are talking about like the actually important things. One thing that's been confirmed is the new titles. Um, so after the change, Margrethe will go as Queen Margrethe. So what, basically what we've already been calling her the whole time anyway. Um, uh, Christian, uh, Frederick will be King Frederick X. Uh, Mary's Queen Mary, the Queen. Um, and Christian will go as Crown Prince Christian. The only thing that was maybe outstanding was whether she would go by Queen or not, because in the Netherlands, when Queen Beatrix abdicated, she now goes by Princess Beatrix. I still call her Queen Beatrix, but um, she is technically princess. Whereas everybody else has kind of styled themselves the King of Spain to King Juan Carlos or whatever. You know, that's how. And in women, I guess Margaret's closest equivalent would be like a queen mother. Like Queen Elizabeth would have been the queen. And then after George died, she went by Queen Elizabeth. I like the fact that they they tend to stick with your majesty after they've um, yes, abdicated. Yes. Because that's like the special monarch thing. Yeah. And they're like, no, I'm keeping that. I'm not going to be your royal highness, the queen. I am. No, that magic. would make, no, that would, that would throw everybody's brains into chaos. <laughs> Can't have a highness. And a, no, no, no. <laughs> I am sticking with your majesty. Yeah. Like, ditch the word the and we'll, we'll just pretend it's fine. They, what are some other things they've announced? They talked about what's going to happen to their version of royal warrants. 
um, which are essentially like a, seat, a stamp of approval because you supply the royal family with whatever. And the British royal family is one. I think we're going to do an episode on that at some point because it's yeah. fascinating. They have like a royal warrant for the, the king's beekeepers. It's um, Or the person who supplies drains for the royal family. Uh, and basically, they're all going to stop. Yeah, it was really weird because they're like, yeah, so no one can use these titles anymore. But technically, they do exist. Yes. And they will exist for another year, but you can't use them. What's the point of having them then? Just get rid. Yeah, I think like it's so that they don't have to like take all of their products out of commission that have got like a (laughs) crest on it or something. But it's it's been very again Danish, very matter of fact of like we're stopping them all. Sorry. Yeah, they did the same thing with the uh, patronages. Yeah, and honorary tasks, whatever they are. They're like, yeah, they're done. As of the moment of the announcement, it wasn't even like as of the abdication. Like, yeah, they are now done, and we'll sort that out later. So basically, Margrethe, Frederick and Mary, all of their patronages have been stopped for now. And they've, what they've said is that they're going to take some time to review and then we'll let the charities and then eventually, of course, the public know which ones are being kept on and which ones aren't. Uh, or maybe some are being passed to somebody else. We don't know. You know, it is kind of a short term fix, obviously, but they are doing this before the abdication has even happened. Whereas in the British royal family, I mean, they've said that they're reviewing the patronages. But I don't know if I actually believe them. And they also hadn't finished looking at Philip's patronages completely. So they are, you know, it was it's handled much better than the Brits did it. <laughs> My first thing was like, how many patronages do they have? Yeah, <clears throat> there aren't as many, to be fair. Because in my head, I was like, I know like the Brits go for a bit excessive with their patronages, but whenever I see like Mary doing engagements, she always seems to be doing something like really official with the mm-hmm. United Nations or something. I'm like, do they just pop in and visit charities? <laughs> like, I, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't go into the international press. I miss those ones. Yes. Um, but yeah, my and then I was like, what do they do in the meantime? The Scandinavian royals tend to have like. 25 to 30 there it is much smaller numbers but to be fair they get less money and they have less people so yeah that makes sense but yeah and then I was like oh god what are they actually gonna do they're just gonna sit there like I can't do anything sorry my honorary tasks have ceased so yeah they talked about staffing yeah for ages for ages yeah (laughs) a lot of it is incredibly boring I'm not going to go into it the one thing that is interesting I guess for me is that Margrethe will have her own court the court basically just means like their staff and the people who work around them. I think when the announcement was made, I kind of thought it sounds like Margrethe is tapped out. Like she is not going to be like Beatrix who hangs around in the Netherlands and does the occasional thing. It sounds like she's just going to go to her home in France and good luck to, to Frederick and Mary. <laughs> then she's then I read that she was having her own court and I thought, oh, no, actually, OK, maybe she's going to still be around and still be doing things and, you know, she just won't be queen. So it will be a different level of pressure and whatnot. But then I thought, again, change my mind again, <laughs> Prince Philip had t- what was effectively a court. Um, he still had loads of staff who worked for him after he retired. So it seems like it's an interesting thing, but actually it doesn't tell us anything about the level of work that Margaret is going to do after her abdication. I was thinking there was uh, little things there, like the cabinet secretary position. They're like, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore. Just yeah. the chief of court's got to do it. I mean, I'm not entirely sure. What I don't know what they do. Yeah, Denmark no. does, but it sounds important. So if they're not, if they don't need one anymore, perhaps they just it's because there's only going to be two working rules. Just yeah. kind of like, yeah, don't need any more rules. Um, but yeah, I was getting. I w- there was the whole bit in there about the master of ceremonies, and I was like, yes, whose job is MC Denmark? Because that's a big <laughs> thing. 
And I hope that's what they put down. I'm the uh, MC Denmark. MC Denmark, that's his rap name. Um, uh, So yeah, the only other sort of big thing that was announced, I guess, is the plan for the actual day of the change. And you can go back and listen to episode 39, No Crown, No Coronation, if you'd like to find out more about how these things typically operate. But basically, the change itself is really low-key, and their plans for the day have kind of confirmed that it is indeed going to be very low-key. In Margaret's speech, when she said, I'm going to hand over the throne, that sounds really odd, because we always say hand over the crown. And it, I was really like, oh, really? In other countries where they don't have coronations, they just really just do not focus on crowns, do they? <laughs> like, they don't even use it in their vernacular. They're like, yeah, we're just going to go straight with throne, which sounds odd. But, you know, it's fine. Go with thrones. They don't even have a throne. They don't even get to sit on the throne. There's no thronement happening, but it's fine. No, so yeah, the, in um, Denmark, what happens essentially is they have a, well, I don't even know if this happened in previous years, but they, they're going to have a meeting with the council of state uh, where they sign the documents, Margrethe will sign. Then they're going to present Frederick from the balcony and then some flags are going to move around, but that's not really going to be very interesting at all. So like, li- I mean, literally it was like seven minutes or something, Margrethe's session It's it's... Um, <laughs> An incredibly short, low-key thing. And that's what we've got announced so far. I guess my question is, like, are they going to do maybe a party in the summer uh, where they invite people from maybe Scandinavia to come and visit? Or is this just going to be it? I wasn't expecting anything. So I wasn't, like, shocked that this is what it was. Like, signing things, proclaiming Frederick from the balcony. That will make sense. That's because we've done episode 39. So we, we knew. Although every time I say proclaiming Frederick from the balcony, I get like Lion King vibes. Yes. Like, How are they going to pick him up? <laughs> um, I like the part where they were like, yeah, they're going to move the flags rather than move the people in the houses. I thought, that's quite logical, actually. Maybe that's what we should start doing in Britain rather than be like, um, Charles doesn't really want to live in Buckingham Palace, so he's just going to pop over occasionally. Um, but yeah, I was just like, and what? Like, we know Margrethe... Frederick, Mary and Christine will be there. Mm-hmm. But like, are they going to bring the other kids? Are they going to be like, can you stay at home while we go and do this really important thing and dad becomes the king? Yeah. Do you have to go to... Well, no, it's a Sunday, so they won't have to go to school. I was about to say, do they have to go to school? But that would be very cruel anyway. <laughs> go to school. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I mean, you'd hope that they would be there. But, um, I, you know, and Joe, Joe Kim and Marie, like, he's got a job. Maybe he'll have to go away. I was like, you know, Mar- Marguerite essentially... Joe Kim and Marie were like, yeah, we kind of got sent to America. Yeah. Not yeah. sure why. Do they have to stay there? Have they do they have yeah. to stay there or can they get to come home now? Uh, and also, like, that's his mom and his brother. Surely yeah. he's like, I'm part of this inner sanctum, guys. Is he gonna watch it, like live stream it from America? I'm so fascinated by the family dynamics here, honestly. And I, I suppose it's 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 a difficult thing as well, because even if they are there, I don't think they'll go to the council. Um no. So what would they do? They would just stand on a balcony for five minutes. So actually, it might not be worth them derailing their entire lives to go and stand on a balcony for five seconds. I'm very inter- invested in this. Um, and it's it's definitely that, like, it's weird because we talk a lot about how, like, abdications are, are good because you know what's happening. But in a weird way, we almost know less about what's happening because, like, when the Queen died, we knew that there was lots of things that Charles had to do. 
Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and like we knew little things like he was going to have there was going to be like a 10 days of mourning and that was going to be all these little things were going to happen and then these things were going to happen but because Margrethe is still there and we don't know to what extent she's going to be roiling mm-hmm. but you can't even be like well when they divvy up patronages are they going to split it two ways three ways four ways six yeah. ways <laughs> what are they going to do with them are they just going to go now nah, we're done with that now it's, I'm fascinated honestly yeah definitely well I think that's the big question then really isn't it is like What's it going to be like? Um, what are they going to do after the accession actually happens? I'm leading my- nicely into my last point. I'm so so on the ball with segues today. Um, <laughs> one thing to say is that, that there's weirdly a lot of people in the royal fandom on Tumblr, not so much anywhere else, but on Tumblr, who are not Danish and really don't <laughs> like Frederick for no apparent reason and think he's really lazy and does nothing. So I don't, I think the weird hatred of him is very strange. I I think particularly because Mary and Frederick are extremely popular in Denmark. Yeah, like like the the, the three of them, Margrethe, Mary and Frederick, have got like approval ratings to die for. Yeah. (laughs) They are beloved. They really are, yeah. So I think, you know, I I read a, I didn't actually read it, I just saw a headline, so I probably shouldn't even talk about it, but I did see something about how Frederick is not as popular as Margrethe, um, and apparently in a poll that was done. Um, But I don't think that, he's still incredibly popular, and Mary is very, oh, it might have been that Frederick is less popular than Mary, which is fine. Um, uh, I think that, you know, it's not like some monarchies where when there's a change of head of state people start to worry about the next monarch and are they going to be able to do it and you know there was a little bit of that in the UK I think that you know we're not going to see any major questions in Danish society about the relevancy of the monarchy because Daisy's stepping back yeah Mary and Frederick are clearly beloved in Denmark and well respected in Denmark and the Greenland and the Faroe Islands but also internationally um Mm -hmm particularly Mary with the work she's done with the United Nations, but Frederick as well with his kind of like businessy interests. Like they're, they're not like newbies to the scene. I know that I think because the last like new monarch we had was Charles, who was in his seventies. There's like a, Oh, but they're, they're so young. They're only in their fifties, but it's actually, they've been doing the work a long time. You know, Mary's been doing it 20 years and she's the married in Royal. So they're pretty much, they know what they're doing and they're pretty good at it. Yeah, I think something else that's going to be a talking point perhaps um, in Frederick's reign, I think it will depend on the level of work that Margrethe does. You know, Christian is, he just turned 18, he's still at school. And so there are some people who are saying that, you know, he's too young to be the heir to the throne and that it's a lot to put on his shoulders and he's not going to be doing any work and all that kind of stuff. And there are other people who are saying, well, okay, but that's the case in the Netherlands or Spain where the heir became heir to the throne when they were a child still. So surely Christian can do it. I think a lot of it does depend on everyone else. So like the problem in Denmark isn't that Christian is young. It's that if Margrethe doesn't do any work, Joachim and Marie don't live in the country and kind of got forced out against their will. So I don't know how happy they'll be to be summoned back. <laughs> uh, Benedict, uh, the Queen's sister, is not getting any younger and might want to also step back if her sister is. So I guess the question is just about like, how is it all going to be spread out? Because they don't have Christian to rely on. Is it just going to be Mary and Frederick? Yeah, I think that's the thing. Like, if you think 10 years ago um, in Denmark, there were seven working royals, really. 
<clears throat> and they all worked fair, you know, differing amounts as all royal families do, but fair, they all did a bit. And um, but they could realistically be down to sort of two and a half. <laughs> and I'm merging Christian, Margareta, and Benedict into half a person there because I don't know how much work they're going to do. Um, and I think I keep forgetting that Christian is still at school. Like because he's 18, I'm like, ah. Oh, he's at uni no he's at school <laughs> he's still yeah. a baby um so it's i think there's always this kind of understanding that when royals are at school they're children and then after they leave school you can be like well they're making a decision to study for three years and that's fine or they're going to go into the army or whatever it is they choose to do um but like he can't really take some time off school to do could go and pick up engagements because he this is his education where he has to do it and like learn things um so yeah yeah I think what you said about the seven down to two is a really stark example and like like I've had as I say I, I've had people who've come to me and said I think it's ridiculous that people are saying that Christian's too young because he's older than Leonor or Amalia um and so and they were fine over there but in those countries it was like I mean Beatrix still does work um so it went from sort of three to two and a half because Amalia wasn't doing very much um in Spain you had like it went from like four people to two people when there was the abdication so these aren't drastic changes compared to you know seven people and then a few years later two people potentially um so I think a lot of it will depend on you know how much we see Christian how much we see Migrator how much you know do do Joachim and Marie have to come back um that you know I'm, I'm not suggesting it's like some massive issue or anything. It's just that that's, I think, a question that will come up at the beginning of the reign of like, um, is it going to be, how how is how are two of them going to manage it on their own? Like what if they're overseas? And the other sort of big thing that I think is lingering is, you know, the allegations that Crown Prince Frederick was having an affair, which we've talked about. So you can go and hear our opinion on that but also around Joachim and Marie and their children and like how Margrethe handled that situation about taking the titles away. You've also got Christian, his siblings are getting older now. So, you know, that's usually when drama starts um, is when they start going out <laughs> to parties. And we've already had like, oh, is Christian got a girlfriend and is she appropriate? And we've already had that one scandal and he's only just turned 18. So there are lingering sort of questions and issues that could come up as sort of events unfold that Frederick will have to be careful about. Again, I'm not saying there's a crisis, but they are things that he'll have to think about. Yeah, I think that's what's interesting me the most is things like when Isabella turns 18, she's not going to be the granddaughter of a monarch and probably not going to be working much. She's going to be the daughter of the king queen which is a different situation and she'll have gone from being a case where she's the sister to the heir of the heir to being the sister of the heir essentially she'll be taking like Anne's role and Anne does a lot um and Benedict did a lot and she was the Anne role for Chuck you know they all kind of not sure everyone's the Anne role but you know like will she then take on more responsibilities if they have less working royals until you know they're a bit older will she fizzle out is she just be like no, nope, I was not expecting this, so I'm done. Yeah. Um, yeah, and things like, I think because Margareta had been queen for 52 years, there's so many things that I'm like, how much of these are Margareta traditions? And how much of these are 
Danish tradition. It's like their little New Year's ball. Is it going to be a... I mean, it's probably going to be a gala, let's be honest. But, like, maybe they don't... Because we know that they like to go to Australia for Christmas, which they can still do, obviously. they There's no rules. Um, but maybe they're not going to take as head of state. Their head of state spending every Christmas in a different continent is more of an issue than the heirs doing it. Because, obviously, people expect that Mary is... Her family live there. Um, and it, it just... The responsibility changes and then things that you've been doing for years the the leeway you get is different if you're the heir or the head of state and I think that's the thing that it's harder for individual people to sort of be like okay where's my boundary now because there's no yeah. written rules anywhere yeah exactly I think that was my overarching or that was my summary I guess really was I think coming into the role Frederick has respect and he has the love of the public especially because of Mary who is ins insanely popular so I think going into it they are lucky that they have the respect and the love you know because a lot of people come into the role of the monarch with you know people viewing them with suspicion and distrust and waiting for them to fail so it's lucky that they've got that that doesn't sustain you forever though you can only go so far on the respect and love that you've generated to date. It's always about the last thing that happened, the last scandal that happened or the last achievement you had. Um, and so there are questions, you know, even though I think Frederick is going into this in a very strong position, um, anything can happen. And he has got some questions to answer and some things to think about. And so it will just be interesting to watch over the next few years and see how he handles those things. Yeah, I think it's definitely... <clears throat> like it's a really interesting situation because Denmark hasn't had an abdication for so for 900 years like I wasn't yes. around when the last one happened I was but you've forgotten yeah. there's not much to you know you can't really compare it. you can't compare like for like in other countries because countries are so different like the expectations the Dutch people have of their abdicating monarchs and the expectations the Danish people have of their monarchs are different. The same way that, you know, we talk about how British royal relations and the sort of Swedish ones are completely different a lot because of the differences in cultures. So I, it's, and it's really interesting to watch it almost like as an outsider because I've got no horse in this race. It's just exciting to see. Um, but I'm also seeing, I can go and find myself the Danish news and see how the Danes are sort of reacting to things. But then I'm also, what I'm getting is the international news coverage, which is often very different. Yeah. yeah well, the international coverage is all about, Margrethe has, has abdicated to save her son's marriage, which is just <laughs> the stupidest thing. Like, it's, it's <laughs> somebody said to me, it's like um, when somebody has a baby to save their relationship. And I was like, it's exactly like that. If the baby was the nation of Denmark. <laughs> um, like, I like... <laughs> go ahead, sorry. I like the headline that was like, will Denmark's Prince Harry be welcomed back into the fold? And it was Nikolai. Nikolai. Yeah, I was like, when, in what you, Joe, I understand that the British British press can't see any other royal family except through the prism of the British royal family. So they make up all these non this nonsense. Everyone's the next Harry. But even if you were going to pick the next Harry in Denmark, it would be Joe Kim. It would not be Nikolai. He's just a random guy. He's just, he's just living his life in he's Australia. Life. He's happy. Yeah, with his girlfriend, like just having a nice holiday. And then he's like being called the Danish Prince Harry. It's so strange. Yeah, so uh, yeah, you've got to, I think it's always more important to try and seek out sources from the actual countries. And so far, it seems like everyone's, at the moment, everyone's focusing very heavily on Migrator still. It's very much like 
what you know what a loss she was an amazing queen she was a lightning rod for danish society she was you know all these great things about her there's been a little bit about like oh i'm excited for frederick and mary or you know we'll welcome in frederick and mary but it's mostly been about margreta but it, yeah it has all been positive and obviously you know the australian news as well is quite excited yeah the australian news is so excited because i feel like i we get australian news more than Danish yeah. news in the UK yeah. and it's all like the first Australian queen I'm like you literally had a queen yeah, <laughs> yeah. you literally have a queen right now it's I quite funny that, yeah. it's quite funny though that the first queen from Australia will be of Denmark um <laughs> they won't have actually had any Australian queens I used to think it was so fascinating that when Mary was little her queen would have been Elizabeth yeah. like that would have been her queen and then she would have just She's now the queen of Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> that, was, that was fascinating to me when I found out she was from Australia. I was like, no, that's crazy. So thank you for joining us for our first episode of the new year. Did we, Grace, did we bring this into the universe? When we I said, think we did. Yeah, we said the queen's not going to die anytime soon. And then she immediately died. We said 2024 is going to be incredibly boring and then immediately Margrethe decides to abdicate. So, you know, if I say this year is going to be really, really boring, maybe something exciting will happen. Um, Other than that, it is a goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. 